Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. G'day everyone, welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. My name is Dave, sitting once again all alone in the Think Orange Bunker in downtown Atlanta. It is so good to be with you today, wherever you're listening from, whether you're at home or like 48% of the American population listening to this podcast during your commute. We've got a very special episode for you today because we're going to be talking about the tips and hacks for special needs ministries in your church. Now, I have a vested interest in today's episode because one of my best friends has two special needs children, and I see how hard he and his wife work every single day just to do the things that we take for granted. So whether you're a church leader thinking about starting a special needs ministry in your church, or you're a parent of special needs children, I know that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Because today, we're going to hear a clip from Megan Wall. Now, Megan has served as the pastoral leader of special needs at Stonebriar Community Church in Frisco, Texas since 2006. So she has a lot of experience in this area. And then we're going to be hearing an interview that was done by my good friend, Sarah Bragg, who spoke with Christina Teven, who is the executive director of Ashland Special Needs Ministry, Jess Berryhill, who serves as the student ministries director at Mount Pleasant Church in Indiana, and Amy Shannon. Amy is the special needs director at Indian Creek Christian Church in Indianapolis. All four of these incredible women have decades worth of insight and experience into developing a special needs ministry. So they're going to talk about building a roster of student volunteers, why recruiting student volunteers early is so important, and how to tap into the resources around you to make sure you've got everything you need to have a well-supported, thriving special needs ministry. Now, before we get into this content, I want to let you know that today's sponsor is Orange Conference 2019. It's coming up fast, folks. I can't wait for it. It is one of my favorite times of the year. Now, if you haven't heard of it, Orange Conference is a three-day conference in Atlanta, Georgia for your entire family ministry team, and it is my favorite time of the year. I absolutely love the Orange Conference, and I'm really looking forward to this year because we'll be talking about how you can make a difference and maximize your impact on the next generation by making it personal. You know, when I look at churches who are thriving in their next generation ministry, there's a reason for it. I mean, there's a reason why some volunteers have a deeper commitment. There's a reason why some parents engage at a more practical level and why some ministries make a greater impact. There's a reason why some churches have a wider influence and some leaders leave a lasting mark. It all happens when they make it personal. So you'll learn how to make your ministry more personal at Orange Conference 2019. You can find out more information, find out who all of the speakers are and register at theorangeconference.com. That's theorangeconference.com. Okay, if you're all ready, here we go. So one little known fact about the ministry is, and we don't share this with everyone in our church because we would have hate mail coming our direction, but we have a wait list for volunteers. So at Stonebrook Community Church in the special needs ministry, we have a wait list for volunteers. And we have a wait list for volunteers because we have so many good teen volunteers who serve with us that we don't need that many adult volunteers to serve. And so we typically have about 
two to three adult volunteers in our specialized classrooms, our self-contained classrooms, just for special needs students. And then I think we have only one adult volunteer who serves as a buddy for a child in inclusion. Everyone else that's serving on Sunday morning, they're youth. They are teenagers that are serving. And the great thing about that is our teenagers who serve, we require them to serve every week. And so we have weekly volunteers who are teenagers who are serving in the special needs ministry. And they serve every week because we tell them they have to. So we just say, this is a requirement. Unless your situation is that you're with mom one week and dad the next week and there's a custody thing that you can't get here every Sunday, we ask that you serve every week because we expect you to be here. And so we have a wait list of adult volunteers who want to come in and serve. But we're telling them, sorry, our teens have you know, taken care of it. But as soon as one of our adult volunteers leave, we'll fill you in. And so this summer, in fact, we have two adult volunteers who are moving. And so they're moving, and so we're able to plug two more of our wait lists in. So people are just kind of standing in the wings waiting to serve in special needs, which is unheard of. So maximizing your teen volunteers within your church will really do wonders for your volunteer base in your ministry. So we're going to talk about recruiting real fast. How do we recruit these teen volunteers? How do we get them even started serving with us? We're going to talk about retaining, and then we're going to talk about replicating. Because you can recruit all you want, but if they stop coming and don't want to serve with you anymore, then your recruiting does no good. You can keep them serving all you want, but if you're not replicating new ones underneath them, then whenever they graduate, you're going to be out of luck. So we're going to talk about these three things this morning. So recruiting. First one is start young. I start recruiting volunteers for the special needs ministry in kindergarten. So kindergartners, I've already got my eyes on, and I'm recruiting them to serve in special needs. The way we do that is we create activities for families to serve together. So we have a resp- or we used to have a respite night. Now we do respite days once a quarter. But we would have a once-a-month respite night where we would encourage families to serve together. We do a mom spa day where we encourage families to serve together. We would do, we do siblings day out where we just take the siblings and we encourage families to come and serve together. So every activity off of Sunday morning, we encourage families to serve. And so I will even reach out personally to families I know have kids that are kindergarten and older. And I'll say, hey, do you want to come and serve at our special needs event? And they just kind of look at me and I say, your kids are coming too. Like we want you to serve together as a family. So as long as your child is kindergarten or older, we ask that they come and serve with us. So then you have a kindergartner who is serving with mom, and they're serving a child with special needs, and they're getting the benefit of getting to play with the child. They get the benefit of getting to see mom serve, or dad serve, or brother or sister, and they get the benefit of seeing what service looks like starting at an early age. So then they're serving year after year after year. So then whenever they're in fifth grade when we allow them to start serving independently on Sunday morning, not independently like by themselves, but independently in our classroom without their mom and dad, then they've been serving with us for four years, so they know how the ministry works, and they come to us and say, we want to do this. We want to serve in special needs because we've already been serving with you. We want to make this our place to plug in. So then we can plug them in and get them on the track as a special needs volunteer. So I'm seeing this play out right now with my own son. I started at Stonebriar when my son was six months old. So because I'm there all the time, like many of you who live in your church, 
He's with me all the time doing all the activities. So now he's going to be in fifth grade next year, and he's already started asking, when do I get to come and start serving in the special needs classroom? Because I know in fifth grade you let people serve in the special needs classroom. I'm ready to come and serve in the special. And so he's already talking about that. And that's not something that I've ever said, hey, you know, I'm preparing you to serve in fifth grade. It's just been a natural transition that as he's come year after year and served with me or served with my husband or served with another volunteer, because you pair them up. So we have one family that has 11 kids. And so their older ones, we would pair up with the younger siblings and let them serve together. Sometimes if there's too many little ones, you know, kindergartners, that we need to pair up with some other ones, I would ask a volunteer, hey, you're coming to serve at this event, you don't have any kids, but we have this kindergartner who's coming with her family, and there's too many people to pair them up. Would you consider investing in the life of a kindergartner so that in five years we have her ready to serve? And of course the volunteer is going to say, yes, sign me up. Because they know in five years they might be tired, and they want this, this little kindergartner ready to come up along the ranks. So start young. Start young. And start thinking that direction. Start planning activities purposefully so that you can invite families to serve. Because you get the family serving, and then down the road you're going to see you have all of these volunteers ready to jump in. I've also seen families start serving that started at a, at a regular event, like an off-Sunday morning event, and then loved it so much they started serving together as a family on Sunday morning. And so you'll see that happen. We have some of our youth who have recruited their parents and their parents' friends to come and start serving on Sunday morning. Now they come in, they get on the wait list, but they get to come and start being involved. So start young. Start thinking about that now. Involve families. That's the same thing. You want people to start working together as a family, and then eventually you do end up with the whole family group serving. That can hurt you when they leave. You know, the family, the parents that are leaving, that are moving out of the state here in a couple months, they started with five of their children serving. Now, eventually some of those kids have gone off to other ministries, but when they leave, it's going to be a gap. But luckily, we've been building up other families in the meantime, and so we have people to fill that gap. But involve the families. And the last one is to make it exciting. I always tell our volunteers, if you're looking just to come and sit in a chair and shake your head at little kids as they walk past you and make sure they're all there and they're not killing each other, that's fine. If you want to come and have fun on a Sunday morning and never know what to expect and be able to walk home and tell someone that... Yeah, you know, this little kid tried to eat my finger. This little, I had to keep this one from pulling so-and-so's hair. I had to run after this one because she was heading out the door with her shirt over her head. If you want to have those kind of fun stories to tell, you come to special needs. Because we, I can tell you, every person who ever goes to lunch with our family on Sunday afternoon leaves like writing down notes because I'm just, so what happened this morning? Oh, let me tell you, <laughs> like this morning was crazy and it happens every Sunday, but we make it exciting. We try to make it where people are coming and going and doing things that matter. And so like those volunteers that you saw earlier that were dressing up, we told them, we said, you know, at the beginning of the service, here's what we want to accomplish today. We want to be able to share this Bible story. We want to be able to share this lesson while we're doing crafts. And we want every child to walk out of here knowing they were created in the image of God and God has a purpose for their life. Now go. And they were able to take that and run with it. 
We didn't tell them, pull your hair in front and make it look like a beard so that you could be Moses. We gave them permission to bloom and permission to do what they would do with the curriculum that we presented them with. So we try to make it really exciting, really engaging, and we let them serve together as friends. That's a big thing. Not all ministries in our church allow two youth to serve together. I personally like having two youth serving together. I think it's more fun. I like to do things with people I like. And so I think it's more fun for people to serve with their friends and with their community. And so we allow them to do it. They come in, they have a great time, and they leave talking about it. And when those youth leave talking about the crazy Sunday that they had, and they're sitting in their youth group second service, all of those youth around them are going, you just did what? You just got to do what? That was so fun. That sounds crazy. That sounds fun. Sign me up. And so then they're all coming and signing up to work in special needs. Because it's always changing. It's always exciting. And you never know what you're going to get. These are some of our volunteers who went to camp. So we do a camp in the summer. We go with Johnny and friends. And... um, It used to be a struggle to try to get people to go and serve for, or to pay, first of all, to pay for a week of camp, to give up their week and to go and serve families with special needs. But after seeing pictures like this posted all over Facebook for a summer, it's no longer a struggle. I mean, who doesn't see this picture of their friends and think, I want to be there, I want to be doing that? What they don't know is that this is at the end of a, what, 12-hour day, Carol? Like a 12-hour day where they're doing one-on-one care for a student with special needs. These girls are exhausted, but it doesn't look like it because they're doing what the Lord's asked them to do. So we try to keep it fun and lighthearted and always try to laugh at ourselves and at um, our environment. There's no way to get around it without laughter. So retaining. Retaining. We create a tribe. So you'll hear a lot about tribes, or if you've been coming to Orange, you've heard a lot about tribes. Creating a tribe, creating a place for people to belong. So in special needs, that's what we do. We consider the special needs ministry the youth group for these volunteers who are serving. Yes, they're already involved in their own special youth department. And yes, that's a requirement. They either have to be a part of the youth group or they have to be going to worship service, the other service that we offer. Um, but we want them to feel like they have a tribe within, a, within the special needs ministry as well. One way that we've done that is the bike club. So we created the bike club. Because one of our students, very early on, I think she was in fifth grade. Yeah, I think it was like her second or third Sunday. One of our students was working with one of our special needs um, teenagers, and he bit her. And he actually bit her on the shoulder. So he bit her right here. And she, you know, was startled. She's this sweet, little, precious, you know, talks like a mouse little girl um, at the time. And she was just startled, but she didn't cry. She didn't do anything. She just walked up to me and, you know, she said, Miss Megan, he bit me. So we got the people around and, you know, we made sure he was okay. We made sure she was okay. We cleaned it up and everything. And then we were going to go and talk to her mom. You know, I said, let's go and talk to your mom. That way your mom knows what happened. You don't come home from church with this weird injury and nothing to prove for it. So went and talked to mom, told mom what happened. Mom was like, okay, we get it. You know, we understand that's what happened. You know, that's just kind of one of the risks of working in special needs. So we came back to the classroom after we had talked to mom, and all of these youth started coming up to her. And I thought, you know, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. And I just kind of, I stood back a little bit and I watched and they all kept coming up and they're like, welcome to the club. And I was like, what's going on? And they were all coming and they said, 
I was bit right here, same kid. <laughs> you know, or I was bit right here, and they would point to the bites on their like body, like over these past five years or whatever. This child had you know gotten most of them, and so they were all saying, "Welcome to the club, welcome to the club." And so she started to kind of look, and you could see she kind of puffed up a little bit, like she kind of threw her shoulders back, and she's like, "I'm in." Like, like I made it. I am no longer one of those volunteers who have not been bitten. I am in the bite club. So we decided we would have keychains made. And so now every time a student or an adult gets bitten, they get initiated into the bite club. And so when it happens, we all, we make sure everyone's okay first. We do our due diligence. We fill out our paperwork. Don't get me wrong. We don't promote biting, but... It happens. So we all come around them. We get the keychain, and we're like, welcome to the bike club. Everyone cheers and hoots and hollers. And so it takes the scariness out of something that can be really scary. No one likes to get bit, and you kind of freak out. But then you see that we've all been through it. None of us have lost a limb. None of us have IVs coming out of us because we're now infected with something. You know, I mean, it just happens. And so... So it kind of, it takes the scary out. So that's creating a tribe. And you'll hear now the youth that you think have been bitten because they've been there for so long. They're like, I still haven't been bitten. I'm not a part of the bike club. I've been serving in here for five years and I'm not a part of the bike club. And I'm like, well, don't try to be. Like, if you try to be, that's wrong. So don't go putting your arm up next to someone going, come on, I dare you. But it creates a tribe within a tribe. So then they're going out to, the, to their youth, you know, in their circles, in their social circles, either at church or at school, and they have this keychain, and people are going, what the heck's the bike club? And so then they start sharing the story, and then they get praised because they do such good work on Sunday morning. So that's our little tribe within a tribe. We also provide training, obviously. <laughs> you have got to provide training to your students. They... As much as they might fight you on, one, on coming to training, our student volunteers love the training. For one, it's a time where they can be together. They love being together. And so we try to do as much as we can training our student volunteers together and training specifically for them. One way that we've started doing this recently is through the um, series Parenthood. Are you all familiar with the series Parenthood? Parenthood is phenomenal if you want to be able to show people what it's like to have a child with special needs. And if you're a 15-year-old boy who doesn't have a sibling with special needs and we're telling you, think about mom whenever mom comes to pick up her child, what would she want to hear you say about her child at the end of the day? The 15-year-old boy is going, I ain't got a clue. I mean, I don't even know what my mom wants to hear me say. I don't know what she would want to So we try to use parenthood to give our teenagers a glimpse into the families. So... I have a blog that I've set up that I have a lot of these clips um, that were, have been uploaded to YouTube that you can use to show what a family um, might experience when they first get the diagnosis. I mean, parenthood walks from beginning to you know, the end of high school with a student with Asperger's. And so you can really use some of those clips to really take a child or a student who might be on the outside and put them right in the middle of what a family's experiencing. And it's fun. It's fun to watch a clip of a current TV show, not like a old school where people have bag phones and, you know, because there's some stuff out there, really old school special needs. But this is a current show that really relates to what's going on now. So 
those parenthood clips are just priceless for us. We use a lot of that in training. Sarah just taught the breakout on volunteers or training volunteers with special needs. I'm not going to go into huge detail about this, but if you have extra questions, come and find me and I'll walk you through a lot of games that we do. A lot of them are on the blog and I can give you that website at the end. But there's a lot of ways that you can train without people knowing that they're being trained. So you do interactive, you do all kinds of stuff to get the group together without just sitting them down and saying, autism is a disorder of the brain that, I mean, you're about to fall asleep just as I'm saying that. So I'd fall asleep too. Last one for retaining is develop a leadership path. This is critical. Our students want to feel like they're involved in something bigger than themselves. That, is, that seems to be the theme of the youth today. They want to be involved in something bigger than themselves. And so you have to give them that reason or that path. Um, you can have them come and serve every Sunday, and they'll check the box, and they'll do a great job. But they're not going to be invested until you give them a way to invest. So we created a leadership path. So we tell them, as fifth and sixth graders, you're going to be in the classroom and you're going to be observing, and you're going to be helping, but you're not ever going to be with a child who has severe behaviors. You know, we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of feel, get you, get you comfortable first before we start putting more responsibility on top of you. But then as you're a 7th, 8th, and, or 7th and 8th grader in junior high, we're going to start giving you a little bit more responsibility because we're going to need you to help us with those 5th and 6th graders. So our 7th and 8th graders help train the 5th and 6th graders that are coming in. Then, once you've graduated to high school, now you're going to be one of the ones who's going to be a a one-on-one buddy outside of the classroom. So all of our buddies outside of the classroom are generally, I will say generally because we have a few exceptions, are generally that high school age or Adults, So high school or adults are generally our buddies outside of the classroom. So you're giving them progression. You're not taking a little fifth grader like my son Jackson, who's been around special needs all of his life. I'm not going to take him and put him as a buddy in a classroom because he's not ready. But he can have a seventh grade boy or an eighth grade boy next year really feeding into him, showing him how to serve, showing him how to be available, showing him tips and tools that we might have taught over the years, and training him so that whenever he's seventh or eighth grade, he can then start to think, okay, now I'm going to train another person, you know, someone who's younger than me. I'm going to train them. So as he's training this fifth or sixth grader, he's absorbing all of that information again. So he's not only training someone, he's really training himself as well. So that when he's in high school, he's ready to be on his own as a buddy. So you want that leadership path. That leadership path also develops into, I think it's on the next one of replicating. We have a program called Team Big. And it is something that was started right here at the Orange Conference. I was sitting right in your seat, I think it was five years ago, six, six years ago. I was sitting in your seat, and I thought, I'm so tired of ministry. I can't go back. I just broke down and started crying in my hotel room at the end of this first day. At the end of the Yuli day, I was in my hotel room crying, and I said, I'm not going home. There is no way you're sending me back home to be with those people in ministry. I can't do it. I'm so, I was just physically exhausted. And all of this stuff about how ministry is going to be great, and these are all new things that you can do for ministry, were all things that were just shoveling on my shoulders thinking, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Go home and do more. And I'm thinking, I have nothing 
nothing else to give, so please don't make me go back there. I mean, I was like a little kid, and I looked at my pastor, our, our children's pastor that night at dinner, and I said, please don't make me go back home. <laughs> if I go back home, please fire me. Please, I don't want to go back. And, and it was at that night that he said, well, what, what was something that you learned that might help with this instead of make you feel like you have more stuff that you need to do? And I said, well, there was this one person that called, had something called Team Big, And he was like, well, tell me about that. So we started talking about it. It was a leadership team that she had developed to help take the weight of the ministry off her shoulders and put it on the shoulders of volunteers. Not all of it, but part of it. So we started processing that. And I thought, you know, but most of our volunteers are teen volunteers. How is that going to work? So her team that she was talking about at Orange was mainly, it was all adults. And I thought, well, you know, we do have some adults that could serve on that, but we have a lot of youth. So what would that look like? So we developed that. I went home in April, started praying about it, praying about who would be on this team. By August, we had a team big created. And they still ask me to this day, what does team big mean? I have no idea. I did not write that down in my notes. I have researched it. I have emailed the person that said it, and she doesn't know either. So I don't know. But it works. So we have team big now. So we have spots on that leadership team for youth to serve. So they have to be personally invited And we ask them to serve on this leadership team for two years. And when they're serving, they are taking responsibility for the ministry, not alone, but with an adult mentor to walk beside them and then underneath the um, direction of the special needs ministry. So they're taking some of the responsibility of recruiting. They're taking some of the responsibility of training. I don't think I have a picture, but one year um, our youth that were on Team Big led the entire volunteer training for the fall. I said, what would y'all like to do? What would give you ownership into this? And they said, we could do training. We've been here for eight years. And I said, great. They said, just tell us what you want to make sure we have in it. We'll put together something. Then we'll come back to you and you tell us if it's good or bad. And then we'll work on it and then we'll do it. They said, we'll stand up there and teach it. And I said, great. And they did. And it was phenomenal. They took ownership over training our volunteers, our teen volunteers, for the entire year. And those teen volunteers that were sitting in the room responded to their instruction and their um, voices much better than they would have to some adult standing up in the room because it was their peer telling them. Their peers can tell them, your shorts are too short. Where if I tell them your shorts are too short, it's like mom telling me that, and they either get really embarrassed and really sad or they ignore me. But a youth saying, hey, you know those are too short. Come on now. And then they're, they're just fine. So there's things that our teens can tell our other teens a lot easier than I can tell. So that's where we develop the leadership path. I'm going to talk a little bit more of that here in this next one. Oh, this is them. I do have the picture. So this is them leading training for our youth. And they developed these games, and they developed this little path that they had the students. It was kind of like a a voice command path, so they had to tell their partner how to walk along this line, so it was talking about communication. They developed all these activities based on things that they knew their youth needed to learn, and they took care of the whole thing. I just sat back and watched. It was phenomenal. So replicating. Um, This is the last one. Adult mentors, student mentors, and future talk. So adult mentors. On this team, we have adults who pair up with our youth. So we have eight adults who serve on the team and eight youth who serve on the team. So each adult pairs up with one youth, and they mentor that youth for the two years' commitment on our team big. 
So if one adult is over the area of respite, then that youth who wants to be over respite will pair up with the adult, and those two together help solve the respite problem. So you're working, they're on a team, but they're paired up as mentor-mentee, and then they're coming underneath the umbrella of the leadership of the church. So it's pretty phenomenal how it kind of plays out. Well, welcome to the Think Orange podcast. We are here at Orange Conference in 2018, and I'm Sarah Bragg, and I'm sitting around the table with some amazing women that I just met and can't wait for you to get to hear their stories and get to hear some helpful advice from them. So um, I've got Jess Berryhill, Amy Shannon, and Christina Tevan around the table. So before we jump into our conversation, I want the listeners to get to hear your voice and to kind of go, okay, that's this person and this person, because that's a lot of people people around the table. So maybe one at a time, give us a little snapshot of just who you are and what your role is. We're going to start with Christina because okay. I'm looking at you. My name is Christina Tevan and I'm from Ashland, Ohio, and I run an, a special needs ministry. So my role is a little bit different. I run a non-for-profit that runs in our community and I work with multiple churches as a whole. So I run a respite program that runs um, two times a month to help families of children with special needs, adults with special needs, and we run a great ministry that really ministers to a whole bunch of churches. I train in churches, but then I also help run our special needs ministry at our church. So lots of different roles kind of tied into one. That's great. All right. So my name is Jess Berryhill, and I am actually a student ministry pastor, uh, but also a special needs ministry coordinator. So I fell into special needs ministry out of a need that I saw in my student ministry. Um, So a little bit of a different journey, but the journey has been so good. Yeah. Hey, I'm Amy Shannon. I am the special needs director at Indian Creek Christian Church in Indianapolis. And so our special needs ministry is called Access Ministry, and we disciple children and adults with special needs as well as their families. Okay, so I want to hear how this, will, this this podcast will kind of feel a little bit like a panel where we get to I get to ask some questions and we get to hear from each of you because even just in that intro we can tell that we all have different um, y'all have different perspectives and different ways of coming into what you're currently doing and so I would love to hear from each of you of what gave you a passion for working with special needs children. Well, I'll go ahead and start. So um, I had the opportunity to work in our high school classroom for students with special needs when I was in high school. And just being with those students, my peers really, and building those relationships really created a passion in me um, to work with students with special needs. So I pursued a degree in special education. And I taught in the public school system for several years before um, joining my two passions of Jesus and children with special needs and becoming a special needs director. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so like I said, my journey is a little different because I started in student ministry originally. So so you weren't thinking about working with special no, needs? No, it wasn't on my radar. I would say I probably didn't have a passion for it. It was something and kind of an unknown thing that was going to happen in my life. And so as we kind of went through ministry and we saw students come up through our ministry who had special needs, it became pretty obvious that we had to do something. And even, I would say probably even early on that it was it was kind of tricky. Like we really didn't know what we were doing, but we knew that there was a need. And then there was a moment where things kind of switched and it was like kind of a light bulb moment where you like, 
you knew that this was going to be something bigger than what it already was. So, um, yeah, now it's now I'm pretty passionate about it. Right, I so. feel like that's interesting because sometimes you, it's that obedience. Like you see, you just saw a need, and you're like, I, I have to take a step forward, and then the passion followed. Because sometimes we want to go, well, I'm just not passionate about that, so I don't need to do that. Yeah, but you, it, the the obedience is what set up the passion. Yeah, absolutely, and that and that passion has trickled down to the rest of our church, which has been really cool. That's wild. I like it. All right, Christina. So kind of similar to Amy, um, when I was in high school, worked with some kids with special needs as well, at my peers, and then went to college and got a degree in special education, started teaching, taught for 10 years and had my children and went home and then started teaching online for colleges for teaching teachers how to help kids with special needs in classrooms. And um, through that, we moved a couple of times and got to Ashland, Ohio, and this ministry opportunity came up and I kept putting my hands up going, mm, not so sure this is the right time. We still have little ones at home. And God just kept opening the doors and saying, you know what, I think this is what you should be doing. And so um, started this and it really has just exploded and opened so many doors for the people in our community. And on top of that, um, about 20 years ago, my husband and I had made a decision to be guardians for a man with Down syndrome. So he had been a huge part of our lives. Um, he passed away this past January, so that's been something our family has walked through. It's been difficult. Our little our little ones um, have had to say to, goodbye to someone that they love dearly, and um, that's been hard. But we, um, God's walked us on a path that with special needs that has just been amazing. And I think there's so many. One of the things that comes up to me, I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two girls that are elementary age, but. And I think that so much of even parenthood can feel lonely at times. And I think parents of special needs mm-hmm. children really feel lonely, mm-hmm. that no one understands what we're walking through. And then you even walk into ministries, you walk into the church where the church is supposed to be for everyone, yet you look around and sometimes you don't see anything to truly meet your needs and what's going to be best for your own child. I, I think that's a heartbreaking thing about parenthood. So what can leaders, if we're talking to ministry leaders, that's who's listening, what can leaders begin to, how can they develop a special needs ministry when there are a variety of needs that, um, and they look different and um, it can feel overwhelming. What are some, maybe some practical advice that you have seen or tried or learned about creating a special needs ministry? Man, start with questions. Don't act like you are, you know everything because... I know when I started, I led from a place of like, I know nothing. And that has been so critical for understanding the perspective of parents and understanding perspectives of students with special needs. And so leading from a place of like, I'm ready to learn. And like, I still want to lead from a place like that, that there's so much to learn and so much that we can glean from this journey. So yeah, that would be one of mine. And I would say to piggyback off of Jess is connecting with the parents. Um, the parents are the expert on their child. And so just opening up those conversations, showing that, hey, we are so excited that your family is here to worship with us. And we want to serve your family the best that we can and meet your child's needs so that they can learn about Jesus. So asking those questions to parents. Um, and then I'd also say find experts in the church. Like, are there special education teachers? Are there occupational therapists, physical therapists? And if they're not any in the church, then maybe go to the local school and check out the special education classroom and connect with those teachers about ideas that you can implement 
for the students. Someone who's already doing this Mm -hmm. well in another place Mm -hmm. and how you can either implement some of those things or just learn from what they have. Like these are things, resources you should have available in a room. That's really great. Right. And I would also say start small. Don't look at what other people have done when it's already big because you can start so small and that can really just encourage those parents. Going back to what you just said, the life of a parent, the parents of special needs children is so lonely. So when they walk into a church and they are so lonely, they are just looking to kind of blend in oftentimes and to belong. So if you can reach out to them and serve them in any way, they are just so thankful and so blessed to be on measure if you can just find a way for their child to fit in in any way. So even if it's as simple as providing their child with a buddy for that Sunday to make it work. So the first Sunday they walk in the door, I've heard stories of week from people sharing where other churches have said we can't we can't accommodate your child so sorry you can't be here today oh my goodness you've just told that family essentially to go to the bad place you know I mean how how awful is that so just have your church be ready to just say we're willing to accommodate in any way we can today to meet the needs that you've present us with let us help you. Just serve that day. Here, we have a couple volunteers who know enough about special ed or special needs to be with you right now. Like you're saying, tap into that. That is the best you know, advice you can get. Tap into the people who already know that are right there in your church. And I've said that many times this week. Find those volunteers who know. Okay, so how can we overcome that statement? We can't accommodate you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because I think that there's probably a lot of ministry leaders who feel overwhelmed because they are working in somewhere they don't know. And they're going, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what you need or how to help you. How can they get past that? Because I think there's probably things that they actually do have, even if they've never established a special needs ministry per se, they probably have some things already available that they just don't understand that they could tap into. What are some of those kind of things? Just like you saying, here's a friend. Right. And I think what we, we've all said this at different times, what churches don't already realize is they are already accommodating for kids with special needs in their ministry, and they have been for years. They might just be the unseen disabilities. Um, you know, there are kids with ADHD. There are kids with um, physical disabilities that they've already been accommodating for. They just don't see it as accommodating. So... If you start to talk about that, then pastors start to think or leaders start to think, oh, we already are doing this. This isn't as hard as we think. And then you work through that and you start thinking, okay, what are some real easy things you can do in your church that just welcome people immediately? Okay, well, one of those things is have some extra volunteers available on Sundays that are there in case you have a child show up that would be someone with disabilities. And that's easy. There are people, like in our church, we just had to put a call out in our bulletin that said, are you someone who is interested in working with children with disabilities? And oh my goodness, we had this influx of people that we never had before say, Yes, that is something I've always wanted to do, and we didn't know if you were ever going to do that here. All you had to do was ask. All we had to do was ask. And they were willing and able, and some of them had different skills that they wanted to bring to that, and there they were. 
Yeah, definitely tap into those people who are willing. Tap into middle school and high school students mm-hmm. who want to love their peers. And, you know, if you're a student ministry pastor, a great way to do that, to, like, break the ice, is to plan service projects with day programs in your community. Because sometimes we miss those on our list of organizations that we partner with. And so tap into those guys. And then when your students see the value of serving alongside and loving students and adults with special needs, then when one walks into your your ministry, it's not going to be awkward. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity. Well, yeah. And I feel like all of you talked about being around them when you were younger mm-hmm. and how that created a sense. I know that you, you saw it as like a student pastor, but it's like seeing I, I liked this. I was only a teenager, and I saw I developed that heart for that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a great point of allowing your students to participate because you never know. It might be students who have are going to like twenty years down the road mm-hmm. still be working in with with children and with adults like this. Um, so I we have wonderful student leaders at our church, and many of them are buddies every single weekend. And um, two of them had said, "Hey, you know, after I graduate, I'm going to go pursue a degree in special education." and special needs ministry and do this as my career. So it definitely, that passion is created when we allow opportunities um, for students to serve in that way. Yeah. So I think um, a thing with any ministry, so whatever ministry you're talking about, I think a lot of things always come down to money mm-hmm. and a lot of churches don't have a lot of money and a lot of things cost a lot of money. And so what are some tricks um, to keeping the cost down when you're starting Maybe you're going in, like, this is going to be a ministry. Like, what are some tricks to keeping the cost down? Well, I think especially um, those who are ministering to uh, preschoolers or even in your nursery, like a lot of the stuff that you're already doing is great for our friends with special needs. Sensory activities, gross motor activities, so like stuff to get them involved, get their body moving. You're already doing that in your ministry. So you may need to just adapt it a little bit or adapt the curriculum. But um, I think a lot of people can get overwhelmed and think they need a whole new curriculum with all these new resources. But really, a lot of the stuff that you're already doing you can use for our friends with special needs that's great i mean i we've been able to get grants i mean that's been a huge funding source for us but also like it doesn't have to be fancy like go to walmart and get stuff like we have a hammock in our sensory room that that works perfect so you like have a whole sensory room well we we have a sensory kind of a cart yeah yeah, full of sensory stuff yeah Yeah. so um that's an opportunity for you to do it on the cheap and there's tons of ideas on pinterest um yeah pinterest the dark hole of pinterest (laughs) yes yes Mm -hmm. so um i'm just gonna be really candid here We've had lots of donations. I have things that I've brought from my own home, like my girls outgrew the trampoline, so I took the trampoline into the sensory area in our classroom. Um, I go to garage sales, and a lot of it's been donations just by my personal family, or people have been have been so generous and have come in and said, hey, I found this, and let me just donate to the sensory room. Or somebody who's been touched by special needs in the church, suddenly there will be a check in my box at church for things for special needs kids in the room and we just use that for whatever we need to purchase another thing this is just my own recent special needs hack is that um you know on facebook when it says share like and comment i just recently shared liked and comment on something that was a sensory swing and six thousand people shared liked and commented on it and i won it 
So I want a sensory swing. Yes. And inside that sensory swing, which I didn't realize were a whole bunch of sensory toys that came with it. It was stocked full and literally it's at our home right now. And I just have to have somebody in the church build, you know, the structure that will hold that swing. So there are ways to do this on the cheap if you just, and literally I just pray and ask God to provide many, many times for this. And, um, and I know people have said this over and over in ministry, but he always seems to provide the needs that we have. And it's, you know, the kids never seem to go without. There's always something yeah. that works. What is maybe your number one special needs ministry hack that you've come across in the last years of doing this? So... Um there is a ministry called Mark II Ministries, and they helped set us up with buddy bags. So it is a backpack that has um, sensory tools in it, like water bottles that have been filled with baby oil and water and glitter to make like a sensory yeah. bottle um, and other tools. And um, the buddies, so volunteers who go into the to typical ministry programming with a child with special needs has a backpack on them so they can use any kind of support that the child may need if they are overstimulated and it's right there in their backpack on them um, if they need it so that's been really helpful in our ministry what a great hack i would have never thought about having it in a backpack so it's with you at all times yep yeah Yeah. that's great well i think probably my my favorite one is we live in we're in a small town but there are two toy companies in our town and they have an overstock room and they have aisles of sensory toys that they specifically make for kids with special needs and they called me and offered to fill the back of my van with sensory toys to cover our special needs ministry and our respite program and I didn't believe them at first I thought it was kind of one of those like oh you can take a few things but literally they filled the back of my van and then they said when you're ready come back and get whatever else you need and it was all free And when I added up, when I looked on their websites and I added up exactly how much these items cost, it really amounted to about $8,000 worth of toys. And so that is probably my favorite ministry hack because that's just something. And I've encouraged others to not be afraid to just reach out and ask. Ask those companies around you. And the minute you mention special needs and what you're doing, it's amazing how many people will say, just let me go ahead and donate that. Yeah. Yeah, so I think probably maybe my... The hack that came to mind was um, just walk through your building and take the eyes of a family with special needs and and figure out where maybe there's accessibility issues. Um, we had a we had a family who came um, with students and who use wheelchairs, and um, we realized we didn't have the greatest restrooms for them. So we bought a massage table for them to be able to change their students. And I wish you could have seen like the face that they gave us because they were like, really like you did this for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's, that was maybe one of the coolest things, like just seeing the needs before yeah, yeah. You, 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 you know, we do that in other parts of ministry. We think, uh, what does it look like to be a first-time guest? And mm-hmm. we walk through and we look at what that would feel like to walk in for the first time. But to do that, to go, what does it look like to walk through our building and mm-hmm. our facility? Um, if, if, if I'm a parent of a child with special needs or if I am that person with special needs mm-hmm. and, and looking at it through their eyes, like such a great perspective. Okay, so I want to ask you a question. The last question is, uh, you know, what has been the most rewarding part for each of you in working with um, people with special needs? Uh, maybe how much time do we have? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, I don't know. Working with teenagers um, with special needs and adults with special needs has been absolutely incredible. 
shoot, I don't want to cry. <laughs> but I've seen a difference not only in how the church can equip them with purpose and love and connection and all the things that the church has to offer. When we decide to offer them that, it is a great gift to them, but it's a great gift to us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great gift to my students, my middle school and high school students, who are going to be hopefully a generation that doesn't see doesn't see all the things that are, you know, maybe others would consider as deficits, but things that are that are so valuable to the church and to the body of Christ. And so they have changed my life and, and my perspective. And I could go on and on for days, but that's probably been the thing, like, it, they're so needed in the body of Christ. Yeah. And I would totally agree with mm-hmm. Jess. Um, we have two respite care events a year that are really big for our community. And so it takes a lot of volunteers from the church, you know, to be a part of those respite care events. But after every event, I'm just so overwhelmed with joy because I'm like, this is the body of Christ. This is what it's all about, mm-hmm. just seeing. And it's it's so true because, you know, we think that we're serving these families with special needs, but really we're serving together and they are impacting our lives as well. So it's just been really neat to see that and see those connections being made with families and stuff. So, yep, it's really cool. You know, Amy shared this week during her breakout the story of the um, the friends carrying their friend and, you know, going through the roof and lowering their friends through the roof to get to Jesus. And, you know, it's hard because in churches, that's what we're battling. We're trying to still get people with disabilities into the church, not through the roof so much, but right, right through the front doors, mm-hmm. trying to get mm-hmm. ramps, trying to get everything in and trying to, complete the body of Christ because it truly is. They are just as much a part of the body of Christ. And um, I totally agree with everything you said, and it's so hard not to cry because what we get out of it is it's eternal. You know what? Everything that we do is we get to know that when what we do for an hour every Sunday, the Holy Spirit covers. And we know that these children they are taking in what we're saying, what we're teaching. These adults are hearing. These families get a break when we do respite. These families get to know that they're loved, that they're cared for, that the blood of Jesus is all about them and all about these children that God um, wove together perfectly in His image, um, created for a purpose, and that we're celebrating them. You know, there are very few places that these kids go that they are celebrated. And why can't the church be that place? Why can't we be that place? Um, we talked about that yesterday in one of my breakouts. They, are, they need to be celebrated. Everything, they don't have milestones, they have moments. And those moments should be celebrated. And let's do it in the church. Let's do it with the people that we can, you know, for the reason they were created. And so yeah. that's what I feel like I get out of it is, um, you know what, when one of them grabs my hand for the first time or one of them that hasn't spoken ever gets to say a word and I get to hear it and I get to celebrate or I get to hear them read or I get to, you know, all the different things that happen. Um, or we get to go over and provide respite in the home for a family who hasn't slept for three days and they get to lay down. And just when you when they get to wake up and you get to see their faces that they've actually rested, that's what Jesus would have us do. Yeah. And that's the reward. Those are the rewards we get. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And the church should be a place of celebration. Yeah. It should be the greatest party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
We're supposed right. to start the party, right? Weren't right. We? Isn't exactly. That part of what, I mean, we start the party, <laughs> yeah. and um, and we create these irresistible environments that yes. are not just irresistible for 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 you know these students or these children, but it's for everyone. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes, that Even makes me them. want to tell you a story real quick. Yeah. We have a family that comes to our respite program, and he's a little guy with autism. He was just diagnosed that he's a twin, and they can't get him to go to church. Because he, for some reason, he has a stigma about church, but he calls respite church. So every Saturday when we have respite, he puts a, a clip tie on, Aww. and he gets all dressed up, and he'll say, it's time for church, everyone. Are you ready to go? And he'll grab his twin, and he'll say, we're going to church. You know that. And he calls respite church. We, we meet in a church, and it's fine. But he calls it church, but then when it comes to Sunday, he doesn't want to go to church. But we're trying that. You know, He knows it's in church, and we're going through the process, but he, he thinks it's a celebration every time he comes. And I, we're just praying that that just transfers right into the church. You know, eventually he's going to be okay with coming to church. And I've told his mom, don't worry, we're going to get there. Right. It's, we're going to get there. The party's going to move the on. The party's going to move <laughs> on. Yes. So. Thank you guys for joining me around the table today, just sharing your heart um, with not only me, but the ministry leaders who are listening. And I hope that it just reminds them to create these irresistible environments for all the kids that come through the door. Yep. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Isn't it awesome when you can just sit in your car and listen to a podcast and hear from four incredible women talk about their area of expertise and their area of passion? I especially love how Megan said that you can recruit all you want, but if your volunteers stop coming and don't want to serve with you anymore, then it really does no good. Your volunteers are certainly taking things personal. So as a leader, you have to take things personal as well. And just a reminder, that's actually going to be the topic we're talking about at Orange Conference 2019, how to make it personal. So make sure you head over to theorangeconference.com so you can learn more about that and how to register. And hey, I want to give you something practical that you can do today to make it personal for your volunteers. I just want you to take a moment to write a note or write an email or write a text to one of your volunteers, encouraging them and calling them out for the great work they're doing. Something as simple as a text message can make it personal for your volunteers. And it's something we can all do and it only takes a couple of seconds. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Share this episode with a friend. That would be an awesome thing to do, especially if you know somebody in the special needs ministry world. And also check out the show notes. Our crew does a fantastic job of pulling them together for every episode. You can find out more about that at thinkorangepodcast.com. That's thinkorangepodcast.com. And as always, when you think next generation, think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com. 